Good morning, and a warm welcome to the service uh, this morning. Uh, to those who are in the building and um, conscious uh, from the empty seats that uh, there are quite a number who are still online, uh, and so a warm welcome to those who are in their own homes and who are worshipping uh, in their own homes also. It's good to see uh, a few visitors with us today, and uh, you're especially welcome, and uh, we pray that uh, you and we will know uh, God's blessing on us as we uh, seek to worship him. Uh, let's now unite our hearts in prayer. Uh, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able and uh, we have the desire that we have been drawn uh, by your Spirit to come into this place, into uh, the house of God. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we come in the name of Jesus, our Saviour, and we come uh, knowing and holding on to that promise that we so often uh, take hold of, uh, that uh, where two or three meet together, in the name of Jesus, you are with us, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for that promise, and we thank you uh, for that sense of your presence that comes amongst us as we gather together in Jesus' name. And we pray that we would know that today in this building. We ask, Lord, that in the stillness of the hour, we would know that you are God and that you are with us. And we pray for those who are at home uh, this morning uh, who are coming together, uh, just two or three, and just one in some homes. We pray that they too would know uh, the presence of God amongst them and for the churches around us. Wherever the Bible is opened, wherever Christ crucified is preached, whatever denomination we ask, Lord, uh, that you would be amongst them, Lord, as we pray that you would be amongst us. And we thank you, Lord, for all uh, that we are able to, to sing about in that first hymn. In some ways, as we, as we read the words and as we sing the words, it's such a, a strange and difficult and awful thing to think about. There is a fountain filled with blood, a picture that points us back to the cross of Christ, his blood shed to pay the price of our sin. And we see that fountain, we see that blood, and it grieves us, Lord, as we think about what our sin did to Jesus. But we thank you that this is our hope. We thank you that as we trust in Christ, as we uh, come to that cross, as we plunge in that sense into the fountain of blood, we thank you that our, our guilty stains, our sin, is cleansed from us. And Lord, we pray for that cleansing. Uh, at the beginning of this service, at the beginning of a new week, we confess, Lord, that we are sinners. And we can think back over conversations and we can think back over things we have done, things that we have left undone. We can think about days when we have been so busy that we haven't taken time to be in your presence. And we recognize that all that, Lord, is, is sin. Uh, we sin in our thoughts, we sin in our words, we sin uh, in the things that we do and the things that we leave undone. And as we think upon these things, we, we tell you of them, Lord, in the, the quietness of our own hearts. And we ask that you would cleanse us in the blood of Christ. Wash us, we pray, and make us clean. And enable us, as those who are cleansed, if we are trusting in you, uh, to live lives that show out the thanksgiving and the joy of your salvation of us. Help us in the time that we have in this world to be ambassadors for Christ, not to be focused on self, not to be out for our own comfort and our own uh, gain, 
but enable us, we pray, to, to remember we are, we are ambassadors for Christ and we are called to, to glorify Jesus and to seek to bless those around us in the name of Jesus. Help us to live that way. May self, selfish self, be crucified day by day and may Christ be lifted up in us, we pray. We pray that for ourselves as individuals. We pray that for ourselves as a congregation, that we would never be distracted by uh, so many different things that we may uh, be doing. Help us to remember that everything that we do is to lift up the name of Jesus. And may everything we do be done from that uh, desire to worship you, Lord, and to glorify you. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that we see uh, in that uh, hymn, uh, a dying thief who in his last moments cried out to Jesus, remember me, and was given the assurance of paradise. We thank you that there is, there is life, full life, eternal life, uh, beyond the grave. The Saviour died and rose again. And we thank you that because he rose, we too shall rise to everlasting resurrection life when we're in Christ. We pray, Lord, for those who, who are struggling this morning. We pray for those who are sick, some known to us, others not known to us, some struggling with this virus that has had such an effect on our lives over this last year. And as we think of them, we pray that you would uh, reach them, Lord, that uh, your healing touch would be, would be felt by them in their, in their body. And we pray for those who are coming towards the end of life. We think of uh, Mary Sheena especially. And uh, we ask, Lord, that she would know your presence, that she would know your peace. We thank you that the Holy Spirit uh, ministers to us uh, throughout our lives when we are in a conscious state and able to, to communicate and when uh, we are in a state of subconsciousness, when we're not able to speak to anyone else. We thank you that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're at work. And we pray that uh, Mary Sheena and the family uh, would know the, the blessing of that at this time, as they have done in past days. We pray for those who are grieving. We think of Nanny, and we ask, Lord, that uh, you would sustain her over this week, and on Friday especially, as uh, there will be the funeral of Effie, her sister. We pray that she would know uh, your comfort and your strength. And, Lord, we pray for those who, who are looking forward to the prospect of new life. We think of Donna and John and Cameron, as Donna approaches her, her due date, we ask, Lord, that you would protect her, that you would strengthen her. We commit her to you and ask that in this week and the weeks ahead that she would know uh, your presence and uh, your hand upon her. And uh, we pray that for all of the family. We thank you that in the womb, you are the God who knows us. Before anyone else knows us, uh, you are the one who knows us. We ask, Lord, that you would continue with us now in this uh, service. We pray uh, for those who are anxious. Uh, we see uh, stories on the news constantly about um, our world and uh, uh, your world and how we see a decay in it, in that environmental sense. Uh, we sense panic from so many, and we know, Lord, that we must care for your creation. Help us, Lord, not to be uh, those who are panicking, though. Help us to remember that you're the sovereign God and you brought all things into being uh, with your word. And when the time comes for this world to pass away, it will be uh, at your command and will. So help us, Lord, to care 
for all that you have entrusted us with, but to, to trust you and to look to you constantly. We pray now that you would continue with us, Lord. Lead us and guide us by your Spirit. Enable us to be in worship on the Lord's day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray about that. Lord God, we thank you for how much you love us. And we thank you for how safe we are. And how strong you make us when we're trusting in you. We know that uh, when we are not trusting in you, when we're not in the Bible, when we're not praying, when we're drifting away from you, we, we, we know that we are so weak. We can't do anything. And you've told us that, Lord. And we pray that you'd forgive us for the times that we've had to learn that lesson the hard way. We thank you that when we're close to you, you make us strong. Uh, you give us the power to do the things that you want us to do. And we thank you that when we're trusting in you, Lord, you make us safe. And in this world, although we do have struggles and although there are things that happen that make us sad and make us sore, we thank you that when we're trusting in you, we're safe forever. There's nothing in this world, there's nothing in life, not even death can harm the person who is trusting in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that that comforts us. Uh, even as we think about uh, uh, Daniel John and uh, his granny, as she comes towards the end of life, thank you uh, that when we're in Christ and we're trusting in Jesus as Mary Sheena is, we thank you that there's no one, there's nothing that can do us any harm. We fear no evil because you are with us. So Lord, comfort us, we pray, strengthen us and help all the boys and girls, the young ones and the older ones here to be trusting in you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's turn now in our Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and we will read from verse 1 uh, to verse 18. This is God's word. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called them in and asked them, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of the master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news 
of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word to us and give us understanding. If you could open your Bibles now, please, at uh, Luke chapter 16. And let's pray as we go there. Lord God, we come to a parable, a passage that's hard to understand. And we pray for your help. We pray for uh, the wisdom of God to be given to us. And we pray that you would make our hearts receptive. Uh, that we would uh, be still and expect that you will speak to us, Lord, uh, in this hour. So open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and um, help us to hear. And uh, we pray for the children as well. We thank you for so many of them. And we ask that in their early years that they would remember you as creator and that they would come to know Christ as saviour. We ask, Lord, that uh, uh, they would grow up to know and trust and walk with, with Jesus. We thank you that some of them are great evangelists already. They speak to their friends. They encourage them to come to church. They, they speak to them about Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to, to use them and protect them and enthuse them. And help us to learn from them. That we would have something of the courage uh, that they uh, so often show to us. So bless them, we pray. And uh, help them as we pray that you would help us now. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 16, and we're looking at uh, the first uh, 18 verses, I think, uh, of this uh, chapter. And if you've done your homework and if you've read this in advance of coming here, uh, you're probably uh, wondering what is this parable all about, uh, as I have been for much of the week. Uh, you go to the commentators and uh, most of the parables, there's one main message in the parable and it's clear to to see and it's clear to understand uh, and there's agreement amongst the commentators but with this parable uh, there is a lot of confusion it's generally uh, said to be the most complicated the hardest to understand of all the parables that Jesus uh, told I think it was J.C. Ryle uh, who I glanced at this morning uh, who said there are some knots in this parable uh, that will not be untied until eternity so all that just to, to say to you that this is, this is a hard parable to grasp and so um, we can pray for understanding and uh, I'll outline for you uh, the best that I can do with it. Um, but there are some things here which they kind of leave, they're left hanging and we have to give uh, more thought to it. I'm going to begin by, by, by uh, talking about uh, something that I don't like very much and that's bees. Uh, bees, the buzzing bees. Um, they're very popular creatures these days. And um, there's all kinds of campaigns to try and save the bees. But I don't like them very much. I mean, I like some of the things they do. Uh, I like the, the fact that they make honey. I like honey, you know, with butter on my toast. And we brought on porridge sometimes. Uh, I'm thankful for that. That's a commendable work that the bees do. And then they they do the the whole thing of pollinating flowers, which is absolutely essential for the environment, and it's good for for the whole world. Uh, Nobody else can do that. The bees do that. And that's a commendable work, and I like that work that they do. I like that stuff that they do. 
but I don't like bees. And I don't like the way they can sneak into your house. There's a wee gap in the window. I don't like the low buzzing noise that they make. It puts the fear into me. And I don't like the, the fact that they, they, they want to share my ice cream cone with me whenever I'm trying to enjoy one in the summer. And above all, I don't like the fact that they can sting. And lots of people say, oh, the bees are nice. They'll never sting you. They can sting and they do sting. They have to be very angry to do it, but they can do it. And I don't like that. But the point is, there are some things about a creature or a person that you can like. But just because you like one thing doesn't mean that you like everything. There are some things that people can do or creatures can do that are commendable, but that doesn't mean that everything they do is good and commendable. And I think that's an important thing to to grasp as we come to this this parable. Because we're introduced to this this character uh, who is called in the the NIV the, the shrewd manager. There's some things that he, he does, uh, and they're commendable things, and Jesus commends them, him for, for them. Um, but his dishonesty, his sharp practice, not commendable. So I think just from the outset, let's get that clear. Jesus is not saying it's good to be dishonest. He's not saying it's good to have sharp practice in business. But he is commending uh, this, uh, this character on, on uh, some of the things that he does. So first of all, uh, we have the parable that Jesus told. That's the first point. Uh, we look at the parable that Jesus told. And uh, we, we see that in, in verses 1 through to verse 7. So let's just step through uh, the parable. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So this man is given his notice. I think uh, by uh, lunchtime last Monday, uh, three managers, three football managers were fired. I was reading about it on the, on the news or on the app. Three managers before lunchtime last Monday fired. They're gone. You know, one minute they're on a big wage. They have a, an influential position. They have responsibility. They have power. They have kudos. The next minute, they're clearing their desk. And they're trying to figure out what to do next. And that was this manager's predicament. He's been fired. Not because he's losing football games, but because uh, he's been found out. He he hasn't been managing well. He hasn't had the master's uh, interests as his priority. And so now, having been found out, we find him, he's clearing his desk. He's preparing to leave the office. Uh, But before he goes, while he still has access to the the manager's accounts, uh, he he arranges a few meetings. It may have been that he's trying to do this on his own initiative. It may be that uh, he's instructed by the, by the, the owner, uh, settle these three or four accounts before you walk out the door. And so that's the, the situation. He arranges this, these meetings to settle these accounts. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now, verse 3? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, he says, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked them, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, uh, sit down quickly, make it 400. He clears the account. And then he asked the second, verse 7, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. So that's the story. And this is a fly move by the manager. He still has some authority to settle uh, these accounts, and so he cuts some deals. 
We're given two examples, two illustrations. Uh, one debtor owes 800 gallons of olive oil, whereas six. They reckon that's about £20,000 in our money. It's about, uh, it was about a year's wages for a labourer. So, say £20,000 in today's money. And uh, the manager says to this man with the, the debt regarding the olive oil, uh, half it. You owe 20000 give me 10000 today, it's cleared. And we can imagine him uh, as this uh, debtor goes out the door saying, uh, don't tell anyone about this, you know, but don't forget what I've done for you. Don't forget that I've just saved you £10,000. Remember that as you go out the door. Then another debtor comes in and he, he owes 1,000 bushels of wheat and the commentators reckon that's about £60,000, three years of a labourer's wage, £60,000 in our money. It's a lot of money. So he says, I'm going to give you 20% discount if you settle up today. And so he does that. And we can imagine again this, this uh, shrewd manager saying, uh, don't you forget what I've done for you. Don't you forget you owe me for this. I've just saved you a lot of money. Remember that for the future. So what's this dishonest manager doing? Well, what he's doing is he's thinking about the future. I mean, he's in the office maybe for a few more hours or maybe a day or two more, but he's not thinking about what he's going to do in the office uh, to, to make his two or three days left there happy. He's thinking about the future. So he does some things. He cuts some deals uh, with people uh, on that particular day that hopefully are going to make his life a bit easier in the future. He has the foresight to try and make some friends who may give him a job or who may give him help when he's no longer on the big wage of a manager, but when he's in need. And then we see the master in verse 8, and uh, we can picture the master, and he's looking at the accounts. Manager's now gone. He's looking at the accounts, and he's seeing what he did. He's seeing that he, he took one bill and he cut it in half. He took another bill, he took 20% off it. And we can imagine this master, uh, verse 8, he commends the dishonest manager because he's acted shrewdly. And we can imagine the, the master kind of shaking his head with half a smile on his face, saying, this is typical of this character. You know, you couldn't help but be impressed by this manager's ingenuity. He's a shrewd character. And Jesus takes this picture and he says, you can learn from people like that. He's speaking to his disciples, remember, and he says to his disciples, you can learn from people like that. He's aware of what's going on in the world. He says there are lessons in the world that you can learn from. If you could take that kind of shrewd thinking, says Jesus, if you could take that kind of mindset where you're thinking about the future, you're having foresight, you're not just thinking about the here and now, if you could take that kind of thinking and and import it into God-glorifying activity, there could be eternal gain. For the people, verse 8, of this world, says Jesus, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So there's the statement. And it's kind of sad, but it's true. It was true back then, and it is true today. You know, we can see people in in business. You know, as disciples of Christ today, um, we can look around us in the world, and we can see people in business, and they have such drive. They have such focus. They have such ingenuity and, and kind of uh, entrepreneurial thinking uh, when they're trying to, to make money and bring glory to their own name. Now imagine 
If that kind of drive and focus and ingenuity was imported into the Christian life. Imagine if some of the drive that we see from the the, the people in suits was taken into our life as disciples of Christ. Uh, If we could take some of that ambition and that energy and bring it into working for riches that will never fade. If we could take some of that kind of drive and and bring it into our lives uh, when we're seeking to not make a name for ourselves but but lift up the name of Jesus, what an impact there would be. That's the lesson for me and for you if you're a disciple. We see this in sport as well. You know, men kicking a ball around the pitch. Something that I spend a lot of time watching. I watched a a documentary uh, a few weeks ago on um, Alex Ferguson, who managed Aberdeen and Manchester United. And uh, when you look at the way uh, he lived his life, and when you look at how committed he was to making sure his teams had success, it's remarkable. It was all-consuming in his, his life. And it strikes me in light of this parable, if something of that kind of commitment marked the life of every Christian, if we had some of the zeal that Alex Ferguson has uh, for winning and took that into gospel work, there could be huge gain for Jesus' sake. And even in terms of false religions, I mean, think about uh, people like the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, in rain and shine, they're knocking on doors, they're visiting houses, they're giving out tracts, they're taking abuse to try to persuade people to believe in a religion that isn't true. Now, if we who have the truth, if we who are the people of the light had some of that courage and that audacity what a difference it would make in gospel enterprise. So these are some of the, the lessons that I think we face as we look at this parable that Jesus told. But Jesus then goes on from telling the parable to actually applying it. And he applies it further in verse 9 through to, to verse 12. The principles that Jesus taught is the second point. And there's two principles Uh, I think the first thing Jesus teaches us is to invest in heaven. And the second thing that Jesus teaches us uh, as part of the the principles that flow out of this parable is we're to have integrity on earth. The first thing is investing in heaven. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, what's Jesus saying here? Is he saying that we can use worldly wealth to buy our way into heaven? Well, of course he's not. Now, looking around in the congregation here, I don't think there's anyone here who would think about that for a second. We can't buy our way into heaven. We can't uh, make a donation to certain ministries and, uh, and secure our place in heaven. There's only one way to heaven, that's through Christ. There's only one way to have our sins forgiven and to have heaven's gates unlocked, and that's through the blood of Jesus. It's not, not us. It's not our resources. It's not our means. It's not our money. We We can only get in through faith in Christ. So let's be clear on that. Can't buy our way into heaven. Jesus paid it all. But for those who have a place in heaven, for those who believe, for those who are Christians, I think the the message that's been taught here is that uh, what we experience in heaven will be impacted by how we use our time and our talents and our money uh, in this world. Two Fridays ago, uh, the, the kids' clubs, uh, Jam and Connect, were making up shoeboxes. So they had all the stuff, the toothpaste and the sweets and the gloves and the hats and all, all that stuff. And they're, 
they're ramming it all into these boxes with great joy. And um, they're putting a, 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 wee, a wee note in with it as well. And some of the, the children, as they were putting all the, the good stuff into the boxes, they, 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 got, um, they put in wee notes um, pointing the, the folks who opened the boxes to Jesus. So there's a wee message of the gospel. And I think some of them did extra little messages uh, pointing whoever's opening this box to Jesus and, and the cross. Now, we'll, we'll never in this world know, I think, where these boxes go. In this world, we'll, we'll probably never uh, meet any of the people uh, who receive these boxes. But if one box comes from here, prepared by one of our, our little folks, and it ends up in the hands of somebody far away, Uh, who enjoys the sweets and wears the hat and comes to believe in Jesus through the shoebox, I think in heaven there will be a friendship between the child who came to believe and the child who put the tract in the box. I think there's a relationship there that will not be seen in this world, uh, but it will be seen in heaven. There'll be a welcome in heaven. I think that's the message Jesus is teaching. We gain friends for ourselves in heaven through the way that we live and use our money on earth. We don't buy our way into heaven through how we use our money. Frugal disciples of Jesus uh, may have massive houses uh, and luxurious lives, but our souls will be drier than those who've, who've been more generous. And I think there'll be less friends waiting in heaven uh, to welcome the person who's indulged in, in, in personal luxury. But if we get... Uh, if we make our our money uh, work for Jesus' sake, he gets the glory. And heaven will be full of of friends we've not yet met. One commentator, uh, Gooding, says, if when accounts are rendered and it becomes known in heaven that it was your sacrificial giving that provided copies of the Gospel of John, which led a whole tribe out of paganism to faith in Christ, will not the whole tribe show towards you an eternal gratitude which they will not show towards me who spent my spare cash on some luxury for my enjoyment. So one of the principles that falls out of this parable is that we are taught uh, to use what we are given uh, to invest in heaven, to make friendships that are eternal. And then the second principle that Jesus uh, teaches here is uh, that we're to live with integrity on earth for Christians. And Jesus says in verse uh, 10 and 11, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So what's Jesus teaching here? Well, I think he's teaching that how we use our money and how we... uh, how we deal with the little things of this world, it says something about our character. You know, we may, we may like sometimes to, to try and separate the, the secular from the spiritual. I've had conversations with people in the past uh, who in their workplace uh, have behaved in a way that is not consistent with being a Christian. And when uh, I've challenged them on that, they've said, well, you know, that's work. So if it's okay for work, and Jesus teaches us through this parable that's not okay for work because there is no line of separation between the secular and the spiritual. The small things, the things that we may consider to be small things in the, in the workplace, they say something about us spiritually. 
read a story about uh, uh, a president, uh, the president of a theological uh, seminary, some big seminary in America, and the, the students were coming uh, for their first lecture in this theological seminary, and uh, the president was up to give his first speech. So they're all waiting for the speech to be made, wondering, uh, what will he say? And you would expect him to say something very spiritual. But he began his speech by saying, uh, gentlemen, pay your bills. Pay your bills. And the students wondered, what on earth has that got to do with anything? But he was making the point that the way you pay your bills, the way you live your life, the way you deal with all the, the small things, the mundane things of this world, it says a lot about our Christian character. Jesus teaches his disciples then and now what we say and how we live. They must fit together. We're to have integrity on earth. Uh, I read a wee story I read a, a news report this week about um, uh, Biden, the president in the States. And, uh, you know, he's, he's committed to reducing uh, the carbon footprint by whatever the percentage is. Uh, and he's very vocal and um, proud to be able to say that. And then you see a 26-car uh, convoy uh, with uh, V8 engines growling through the streets of Glasgow with the president in the middle of it. And you kind of ask yourself the question, uh, how does this uh, message that he, pra- that he preaches about, about carbon footprint being reduced and, and this 26-car convoy in a private jet, how does it fit together? Uh, and, and the answer is it, it doesn't really. And it... Um, it kind of discredits anything that's said. And as Christians, if what we say and the way we deal with our money and the little things of this world uh, don't connect, if there's no integrity, we can't expect anyone to listen. So Jesus teaches uh, that we're to invest in heaven with the resources that he's given us and we're to have integrity on earth. Uh, these are two principles. And the final thing, very briefly, is uh, the pushback that Jesus tolerated. And we see from the beginning of the parable that this is a lesson to the disciples. But as usual, by verse 13, uh, the Pharisees are are, are peering in the window. They're stalking Jesus uh, once more. So what does Jesus do when he speaks to them? He doesn't dismiss them. He doesn't say, I'm sick of you guys. Everywhere I go, uh, you're an irritation to me. Uh, Just get out of my sight. No, he's aware they're there. And so he speaks to them. And he speaks to them about the idols that were keeping them from God. And there were two. One was wealth. And the other was women. And Jesus goes, uh, he goes for them with us. He says to the Pharisees, verse 13, regarding wealth, uh, no servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees, they've got all this kind of show of outward holiness as they walk around with their scrolls and as they, 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 they showboat their vast uh, theological knowledge. But Jesus could see their hearts were sick. Jesus could see they loved money much more than they loved God. And so Jesus calls them out on it and he says, there's an idol in your life. You can't know God because of your love for this thing, this wealth that you crave. So Jesus speaks to them about wealth in verse 13. And the second thing, the final thing Jesus speaks to them about is, uh, is women. And the, the crux of it is in verse 18. Jesus builds to this. He says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And that was going on all the time with the Pharisees. 
They were experts in, in God's law, so they, they thought they could quote it, they could apply it to anyone else, but they could find all kind of loopholes to justify themselves. And so Jesus, in verses 15 to 18, I can't go into it, time's gone. Jesus, he challenges them about how they twist the law of God to make it suit themselves, especially when it came to women in marriage. See, the Pharisees, the Pharisees they, they considered it okay to, to keep a wife for, for as long as she, uh, to use their term, pleased you. But if one day you woke up and she no longer pleased you, you just got a certificate, divorce. Get the signature, off she goes. Uh, women in that culture uh, to these people were, they were objects, not people. And they had made this legal. They dressed it up in, in holy language to, to, to make it sound acceptable. But Jesus makes it very clear to them that no matter what their man-made laws said, uh, God had a view in this. And his view was that uh, marriage was for life. And every woman, every man, every boy, every girl is precious to God. And so when Jesus sees the Pharisees uh, behaving in this way, pleasing themselves when it came to money, pleasing themselves when it came to women, uh, he calls them out on it. It was idolatry. Jesus shines a light into uh, their dark hearts and their dark lives. To show them their idols. So what did they do in response? Well, it says in verse 14, they sneered at Jesus. Uh, literally in the Greek, it means they turned their noses up at him. They turned their noses up at him uh, as a person, the God-man. They turned their noses up at him uh, at his teaching. And as Jesus tells them about their idols, uh, they were never going to be willing to put them down. As Jesus challenges them uh, on, on their sin, uh, they were not willing to repent of it. And so they push back against Jesus. And as we finish, I just wonder uh, in application, what are we doing today when it comes to Jesus? As he meets with us, as he challenges us, as he speaks to us. It's a difficult parable to understand. And uh, in the measure of understanding that we have, it's even more difficult to, to face as it applies to our lives. So what are we doing with it? And we all have idols. Calvin talks about the, the heart being like a, a factory of idols. We're always producing idols. And it can still be wealth. It can still be women. It can be work. It can be just about anything. Anything that we put above Jesus, anything that we prioritize over Jesus is an idol. Because there is only one God, he will challenge us over the things that we hold on to uh, more tightly than we hold him. And at that point, which perhaps some of us are at in this moment, we have a decision to make. We can either push back against God and cuddle our idols all the way down the road to hell, or we can let go of our idols and take hold of Jesus and walk with him through life all the way on the road to heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that uh, you love us enough to, to comfort us when we are sore and to challenge us uh, when, when we're out of sync with you. Uh, we thank you that uh, you never intend to, to challenge us in a way that will, will be uh, cruel. But we thank you that uh, you love us enough to tell us when uh, we are apart from you, uh, when we are uh, on a dangerous track that leads us to, to destruction.
And help us, Lord, we pray. If there are those here uh, today who are holding on to things that are keeping them out of heaven, uh, enable each one to see what we need to drop to take hold of Christ. And if, Lord, as disciples, uh, we are ineffective in our lives because of a, a lack of zeal, because of our worldliness, because of idolatry, that we, uh, we've picked back up idols that once we dropped, we pray that you would show us that and give to us uh, the strength to be able to say what, what we'll sing in a moment, the dearest idol I have known, wherever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Help us, Lord, we pray, to walk close with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.